Good morning. Good to see you here. Good to be together with you. Thanks for uh, joining us. Before I get started, I want to just tell you a little bit about a very special guest speaker coming here in two weeks. Jay Warner Wallace is a homicide detective in Los Angeles. If you watch Dateline on uh, NBC, he's a repeat guest. Maybe, maybe you've heard about him. He's solved uh, many crimes, and uh, he's going to be here. And this is going to be a really a, a fascinating uh, message. Take a look at the screens. <clears throat> How did they miss this? A Huntington Beach man is behind bars tonight, accused of a murder more than 30 years ago. We're looking for the thing that's really hiding in plain sight. Which of these things in this crime scene doesn't fit this scene? For me, this is a calling. Yeah, I'm clearly an evidentialist. That's just my perspective as a skeptic. Uh, that was what I valued, making cases, making criminal cases. So it shouldn't surprise anybody that when I began to examine Christianity, that's the approach I took. I learned enough, I think, to be able to help the church do what it needs to do, to understand how evidence is processed, to understand how we put the case together, to understand how powerful the circumstantial case is, but also what we believe about the foundational views we have as Christians in a culture that is becoming more and more non-Christian. Now is the time. This is the time when we need to get serious about how to present it to a culture which is challenging what we believe more and more every day. I've heard him talk, and it is a powerful, powerful message. He shows how the methods of a, uh, of a homicide detective can be helpful in evaluating the uh, evidence for Christianity. So I uh, hope that you'll join us a couple weeks. Bring somebody with you. Great weekend to bring a guest. This is for everybody. I mean, if you've believed all your life, it's going to affirm you, and it is going to equip you in just amazing ways. And uh, definitely, if you have doubts... Uh, questions. It's going to help you see things more clearly. So hope you'll be here. There's an invitation piece in the chair back in front of you that you can take with you and, and uh, use it to in, in, in invite somebody. All right, today we continue the series about our most important relationships. And today we're talking about friendship. And I want you to just imagine the front of the stage is this continuum. All right. And over here, this end of the continuum, awesome friend. Over here on the other side of the continuum, awful friend. Got it? Quick show of hands. How many of you would say, yeah, I'm an awesome friend. I'm over here. You're not bragging. You just think you're an awesome friend. Okay. Yeah, quite a few. All right. Anybody honest enough to admit, I'm over here. I'm an awful friend. Now, don't raise somebody else's hand for them. That's not nice. Okay, a few of you. But like I thought, I think most of us would say that we are an awesome uh, friend. That's what it appears. Many of us think of ourselves as awesome friends. But I think we all know the true test of friendship is, have we agreed to friendship on Facebook? Yeah, that's what it's about. And sometimes that friendship, getting that friendship on Facebook is not very easy. Take a look. Hey, Stan. I was on my computer at work and saw that you have a Facebook page now? Yeah, Dad, I was kind of forced to. Well, so are you going to add me as a friend? No, Dad, I, I really don't want to get more into it. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm not your friend then? Dad, you are my friend. But you just don't want to add me as a friend? Dad, it's just a stupid click of a button that takes two seconds. Right, but you don't have the two seconds or... I just want to do my homework. All right, fine. Just to be clear, you and I are not friends... All right, Dad, I'll add you. Oh, cool, okay. Yeah, pretty true to life, isn't it, for a cartoon? 
So I got to thinking that Facebook is a good measure of awesome uh, friends. I need to do some research. And so I went to my Facebook page and I've got, it says I've got 692 friends. Yeah, it really helped when I started paying people. But 692 friends. That's pretty awesome, right? But then I went to my friend Brandon's page and uh, Brandon Stevenson, many of you know Brandon. Brandon's got 1,348 friends. That's like twice as many friends as I have. And so I wasn't feeling as good about myself. And then I went to my friend Greg Wanschneider's page. Greg Wanschneider's got 5,000 <laughs> Facebook friends. He, you can't even be his friend. He's maxed it out. You have to be a, yeah, a fan. Uh, uh, so I wasn't feeling very good uh, uh, about my, uh, my, my friendship. And then I thought about, you know, how many of my 692 friends would even recognize me, you know, if they saw me in, in person. Turns out I'm not a very awesome friend. Well, today we continue uh, this series called Awesome, talking about our most important relationships. And I think all of us would agree we want awesome relationships. And guess what? God wants you to have awesome relationships too. One time Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? And, and he replied and said that all of God's teachings, all of God's commands, all the story of God from Genesis to Revelation is driven by love. Loving God and loving other people. And so if we really want awesome relationships, it starts with us deciding to love God with all our heart and to love others as ourselves. It starts with us deciding to be Awesome. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how Bob Goff's best-selling book, Love Does. He suggests that we take this on as our mission statement in life, to be awesome, to be awesome. Which reminds me of this verse in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Proverbs. King Solomon wrote these words of wisdom about friendship. A man who has friends must himself, look at this, be friendly, must be friendly. So today we're talking specifically about awesome friendships. And here's the, here's the big idea based on this verse. If you want to have awesome friends, you have to be an awesome friend. And I think all of us want and need awesome friendships. People, friends who really know us and understand us. Friends that we can count on no matter what, no matter what life brings our, our way. And I think we also desire to be that kind of friend to somebody else. In fact, I think God created us with this longing inside. It's part of what makes us human. In the Old Testament, there's this word. It's in the Hebrew language. It's pronounced nephesh. This is how it would look if you translate it. But it actually has an F sound. Nephesh. Okay, would you say that out loud with me? Ready? Nephesh. That's right. Nephesh refers to our innermost being. Our true self, it's often translated with the English word soul. For example, in, in Psalm 42, David says, As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul, my nephesh, longs for closeness with God and connection with other people. But for so many of us, this longing goes unmet. Do a Google search on loneliness in America and you will find a bunch of studies describing loneliness as the next big public health epidemic in America. Over half of Americans, over half of Americans say they have, they have no one outside of family that they can confide in with their troubles and their triumphs. Our culture has just championed individual success and accomplishment to the point where many of us sit among our trophies and achievements and we long for something more. And let's face it, our busy calendars and our endless to-do lists have crowded out the space 
for cultivating friendships. And so we long for connection. We, we want this connection. But I would suggest that many of us, including me, if we're honest, we're just not that good at it. We're just not that good at friendship. Friendship has become kind of a lost art in America. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at someone who, in history who made the deliberate decision to be an awesome friend. I want to talk today about this guy by the name of Jonathan. And you're going to see how one friendship can change your life. One friendship can change your destiny. You know what? You might be one friendship away from a brighter future. King, king Saul served as the first king in Israel, and that made his son, Jonathan, who we're talking about, the prince, the next in line for the throne. But King Saul makes a series of just terrible decisions. God decides to replace him. God chooses David as the next king. Maybe you're familiar with David. But even though God chooses David, he doesn't become king right away. In fact, when we pick up the story written by the prophet Samuel, David's very young, very young man, serving in Saul's army. But David gets the attention of Saul and quickly becomes a national hero when he goes out to battle against the giant, help me out, by the name of Goliath. Even though Goliath completely outmatched him, David took down the giant and David goes from obscurity to one of the most popular guys in Israel. He wins battle after battle, gaining even more popularity. People start writing songs about him. People are cheering him wherever he goes. I mean, David would have maxed out his friendships on Facebook in like 24 hours. And so you would think that this guy named Jonathan, the son of King Saul, would view David as a rival, as a threat, because legally Jonathan stood next in line for the throne. But after David defeats Goliath, he becomes increasingly uh, popular. And we read about this developing friendship between David, the surprising friendship between David and, and Jonathan, it says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Here's what I love about Jonathan. Jonathan clearly initiates a friendship with David. He initiates a friendship with, with David. When it says the soul of Jonathan uh, was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved himself, loved David as his own soul. The word for soul is our Hebrew word, nephesh. And so Jonathan feels this, this longing that we all have for connection. And even though he had every reason to hold back, every reason to, to, to view David as a threat and keep his distance because Jonathan was the legal heir and David was increasing his, his popularity and it was be, becoming more and more clear David would become the next king. Jonathan could have kept his distance, but instead he reached out and initiated a friendship with David. Think about how Jonathan's approach is, is much different than how we tend to approach friendships. Maybe you're like me and we hesitate. We hold back. We, we wait, don't we? Sometimes we talk ourselves out of initiating. You know, what if they're too busy? What if they think I'm trying too hard? What if I initiate and then they take up too much of my time? But what might happen if we choose to be a friend like Jonathan? What might happen if we choose to put aside those reasons for holding back and we become initiators? I mean, think about the last time somebody initiated with you. Think about that. Maybe somebody, maybe it wasn't a big deal. Maybe somebody just picked up the phone, called you or, or texted you, invited you for coffee or breakfast or, or lunch or invited you over. Do you remember that? How did it make you feel? 
pretty good, right? I mean, who doesn't like to be pursued? I think pretty much everybody likes to be pursued. Many years ago, when Marnie and I moved up here from Kentucky, we didn't know anybody in, in the Waukesha area. I mean, we, we bought a house, we moved into a new neighborhood. Waukesha was all new to us. We didn't have any friends. I remember the first time a guy reached out to me and invited me to breakfast. How do you think that made me feel? It felt great. I was doing cartwheels. You know, somebody wants to have breakfast with me. I'll admit I was a little needy, but it felt great. And uh, it was actually a breakfast with a, with a guy named Rick Parker. And we had many more meetings, many more breakfasts. Rick actually became one of my best friends over the next 15 years. A few years ago, he moved away to Florida and, and retired. But that one friendship made a huge difference in my life. Sometimes one friendship changes your future. You know what? You might be one friendship away from a brighter future. But you've got to be willing to take that step, make that phone call, send that text, start that conversation, invite somebody out for breakfast or lunch or dinner. It doesn't have to be a big deal. But friendship requires that somebody goes first. Somebody initiates. If we want to have some awesome friendships, we have to be willing to initiate. How willing are you to initiate? Second, awesome friends are present. Now, let me explain. If you look at the research on friendship, it is going down. Friendship is declining. People in America have fewer close friends than they did years ago. Loneliness is on the, on the rise. Sociologists describe America right now as a place of relational poverty. Why do you think friendship is decreasing? Well, there's probably many reasons. I came across three top reasons in my research. One is that people spend uh, more time working because we're connected all the time. You know, we work too much and we're not developing friendships. A second reason is divorce. Divorce is not just hard on families, it's hard on friendships. And then a third reason, and this one might surprise you, is the explosion of social media. We communicate online, but we're not really present. Now, I want you to know I'm not against social media. I mean, I actually think it has many benefits. Personally, I enjoy Facebook and, and Twitter. I love the way our church leverages social media. It's a, it's a great way to communicate. But whatever you think about social media, it has changed the way that we think about friendship. For example, 25 years ago, I don't think anybody ever thought of picking up the telephone and calling every friend that they've ever had to tell them what they had for breakfast. Okay, but nowadays people think nothing of broadcasting. I had oatmeal for breakfast. Some people even take a picture and show the oatmeal. And, you know, that's cool. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. You can stay in touch with other people through social media. But social media really needs to be a supplement for relationships and not a replacement. Too often people allow it to replace friendships and people have more likes and Facebook friends, but they feel more alone than ever before. Now, I can't speak for others, but I find personally the more time I spend on social media, the more I long for face-to-face -face friendship and relationships because it cannot be a replacement. It can only be a supplement. And there is something powerful about physically showing up and being present with another person. That's why when Jesus called his disciples... He didn't say, hey, here's a book. Go and read about me. 
No, he said, come and be with me. Come and follow me. Jesus was fully present. And that's how Jonathan built an awesome friendship with David. In the, in the next verse, it says that Saul moved David into the palace. And so now Jonathan could be fully present with David. Jonathan developed a, really, a friendship with David face to face. I mean, texting, email, uh, phone calls are good. But there's something much more powerful about being present. You know, for example, when somebody emails you and says, I believe in you, you're doing good. That means something. But when somebody shows up in person and looks you in the eye and says, I see something great in you. And I believe God will do more. There's something much more powerful about being present. Or when somebody, somebody shows up to see your child receive an award. And says, you know, your child is valuable to me. There's something powerful about their presence. Or when somebody gets in a car or maybe they get in an airplane and they, they travel to be with you when you're grieving. Just to be present and, and hold you when you're hurting. I'll never forget walking into the funeral for my dad. This is like 23 years ago. Uh, and I, and I, remember, I remember clearly it was over at a funeral home in Hills Corners. I, I got there early. I walked in the door. Front door of the funeral home, first thing I heard was, hey, Ben. And I turned and I looked and I was surprised to see my friend Mike from Kentucky. Couldn't believe that he traveled all the way, all the way up here to, to be present. Now, I don't remember anything he said at the funeral. And I'm sure he said some great, wonderful things. But I will never forget that he was present. There's something powerful about being present. And I don't just mean physically present. I mean being present Physically and emotionally. You know, sometimes, sometimes friends, sometimes small groups will get together around a table in a home or in a restaurant. And they'll take their smartphones and they'll put them in the, in the, in the middle of the, of the table, face down. And they'll say, for the next hour, you are my priority. Not what comes into the phone. Sometimes groups will get together, friends, small groups will get together at a restaurant. And they'll put their smartphone in the middle of the table, face down. And, and they'll say, the first person who picks up their phone, picks up the bill. And that, that really cuts down on the uh, use of the, uh, the phone. Awesome friends are present. In fact, if you don't mind, let's make a little pledge together, okay? Now, here it is. Would you repeat this after me? Ready? I will develop my friendships face-to-face, -face, not just thumb-to-thumbs. Amen. Or maybe, you know, not just four-finger-to-four-finger four if you're a finger-typer like I am. Awesome friends are present. And then third, awesome friends are Open up. Look at this description again of the friendship between Jonathan and David. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. I mean, this is an amazing, awesome uh, friendship. And I don't think I fully understand everything about that phrase. But here's what I do know. I don't think you can knit your soul to another person's without opening up your soul and sharing it. You've, you've got to bear some of your soul to knit your soul to another person. Uh, to another uh, person. I've got a friend on Facebook who, who, who has a good sense of humor and, and he posts a lot on Facebook. And sometimes he makes fun of Facebook and how people tend to just post about accomplishments and successes and they give this impression they've got this uh, wonderful uh, life. My friend calls it fake book. Yeah, uh, fake book. Somebody uh, <laughs> handed me this shirt. I'm going to show you this shirt. Uh, just before this service, they, they brought it and they showed it to me. And it says, uh, you know, may your life be as awesome as you pretend it to be on Facebook. Yeah, just having a little bit of fun there. I, I'm not saying it's wrong to post about, you know, how good 
or your successes. I like to celebrate. I like to hear about those. I like to celebrate people's successes uh, with them. But we have to open up more of our life, more of our soul to uh, knit our soul and have an awesome friendship, you know, with another person. Take a look at this quote. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. That is so true, isn't it? It's when we're transparent. It's when we're, it's when we're vulnerable. It's when, we are, it's when we open up that our souls can knit together like, like Jonathan and uh, uh, David. My uh, niece, Allison, posted a picture on Facebook a few days ago, and she opened up, and she gave me permission to just read her post to you. She wrote, uh, uh, Zoo Day, and some emojis. And then she wrote this. I was going to just post this picture with the caption, Zoo Day, and then I thought somebody's going to see this picture and think, wow, she took her three-year-old and seven-week-old to the zoo by herself. She's got it together. I wish I could handle that. She writes, I'm going to be transparent for a moment. That couldn't be further from the truth. You see, I spent the morning with my midwife talking about a plan for my postpartum mood disorder that I was diagnosed with. PPD can manifest in different ways. For some, it's depression. For others, it's anxiety or anger or sadness or no desire to do anything. PPD is never talked about. You should be ashamed of yourself if you were diagnosed with it. At least that's what women are taught to believe. And then we see all over social media how great all the other moms in our circles are doing, posting pictures of the fun activity they did with their kids or the yummy meal they just created or the Pinterest-worthy party they just threw. But that's just a fraction of their daily lives. It's easy to pretend that everything is great on social media. So I post this to be real. I'm not going to air my dirty laundry, but it's okay to be a little honest on social media. More than okay. You never know who you'll touch. That, that took some courage, I think, for her to, to open up. But do you know how people responded to her post? Many women responded and opened up about their struggles with PPD or, or other struggles, and they encouraged each other. It's true. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our uh, weaknesses. It's when we drop our online persona or our public persona, and we say, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm afraid of. Here's where I'm struggling in my life. That's when souls knit together and we develop awesome friendships. Are you willing to open up? And then look at what Jonathan does next in verse 4. It says, Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now that may seem a little strange, so let me unpack the meaning here. Remember, Jonathan stood as next in line for the throne. Jonathan was the legal heir to the throne. But he hands David his robe, the robe of a prince. And he hands David his weapons. See, Jonathan acknowledges that David is the true prince. Jonathan acknowledges that, that David is, is, is God's choice to be the heir to the throne. That's, that's, a, that's a remarkable sacrifice when, when you think about how, how much Jonathan gave to uh, David. And you know what? It goes against our natural instinct to approach friendships more as a consumer. We tend to leverage friendships for what we can gain, you know, or at least 50-50. And if it's not 50-50, we're like, oh, what's missing? Why am I losing? We tend to look at friendships and ask, what's in it for me? And, and I get that. But what if we took the perspective of what can I give? And what if we began to trust God for what we get 
in return. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. Many years ago, I went away to college in uh, Illinois. And, uh, as a, and as a freshman, I moved into my uh, room. And across the hall was uh, a guy named Ron, a senior. He's the RA, resident assistant. And he said, you know, if you have any questions, you know, come and ask me if you need any help. And I'm a freshman and I needed a lot of help. And so I knocked on, you could say I initiated the friendship because I knocked on his door a lot. But Ron was the one who made the sacrifices. I mean, he willingly gave his time and his energy to help me grow as a student and as a follower of Jesus. He nudged me and he encouraged me and he stretched me to consider this career. I remember as a freshman I had this opportunity to preach a sermon in a church, little church nearby. Never done this before. I'm terrified. I'm not going to do it. But Ron encouraged me and uh, convinced me and said he'd help me. And he, he did. He helped me write my first sermon. And he coached me on dating. I would mentioned last week how bad I was at dating. I needed a lot of uh, coaching. I had this friendship with Marnie and I wanted to ask her out, but I was terrified. And Ron kept encouraging me. Finally, he said, you ask her out, we'll go on a double date. And we did. Our first date, Marnie and I's first date was with Ron and his girlfriend Kelly. He drove. I didn't have a car. He drove to Bloomington. We uh, got pizza and then went to a movie. Ron was such a great friend. I mean, he helped me find my career path and helped me find my wife. I would pretty much do anything for him. And I contacted him this week on Facebook. We're friends. And we reminisced a little bit. And I thanked him for his friendship. And, and he replied, Ben, that means a ton. I'm glad he knows that his sacrifice made such a difference in my life. Sometimes one friendship can change your direction and your destiny. You might be one friend away from a new and a better future. And you might be one friend away from making somebody else's future better and brighter, like Ron did and like Jonathan did. Jonathan was an awesome friend to David. And if you read on in the story, Jonathan goes on to protect and defend David, and he even saves David's life. But if you continue to read the story, it really doesn't say very much about how David reciprocates the friendship. It really seems one-sided. But later on in the book of 2 Samuel, we begin to understand how David loved Jonathan. At this point, David has, has, has begun his reign as king. Jonathan's gone. He died in battle. Saul is also gone. But David begins setting up his new kingdom. And look at one of his first questions. He asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. David wants to know, does Jonathan have any family members left? And he discovers he's got one son named Mephibosheth who's crippled, handicapped since childhood. And David does the unthinkable. He invites Mephibosheth to live in the palace and eat at the king's table, which was unheard of back then. When a king came into power, do you know what typically happened to the previous family? The previous, they would, they would, the previous royal family, they would send them off or kill them to prevent an uprising. But David initiates this act of kindness and sacrifices what some would have seen as his own best interest. And he honors Jonathan's legacy by taking care of his crippled son. And so Jonathan was an awesome friend of David. And David was an awesome friend in return. If you want to have an awesome friend, you've got to be an awesome friend. And so I want to challenge you today because you might be one friendship away 
from a new direction and destiny. You might be one friendship away from a new future. I wonder, is there one friendship that you can pursue, one friendship that you can initiate so that you can be an awesome friend? I hope God blesses you with more than one, but even one friendship has the power to change lives. That's why we value small groups so much around here. If you've been attending here, you've probably heard us talk about small groups. Here's why. Small groups make it easier to develop friendships and get connected with other people. I think of it this way. Circles are better than rows. I love how we gather together in here on the weekends in rows. God does some amazing things in this room as we sit here in rows. But it was never our goal to just fill rows, fill, fill rows of people. Our goal has always been to, to move people from rows into circles because it's much easier to form friendships and love each other in circles that we call small groups that meet in homes and cafes and, and, and rooms in this building. Here's some research I came across by the Lifeway organization. They found in the average church, only about 50% of the people have, have developed significant relationships but when they surveyed people in small groups, that number jumps from 50% all the way to 90%. And that's why we value small groups. If you haven't gotten connected in a group, stop at the connect wall after the, the service. Somebody will help you out. Or just show up on Thursday, 6.30, by the fireplace. We've got groups here. We've got a place for you. Thursday groups dig into what we're talking about on the uh, weekend. I want you to listen to this story from two guys Kirk and Alan uh, from River Glen about their friendship. Take a look. My name is Alan Bresky, and I've been coming to River Glen for seven, eight years now. I'm Kirk Poser. I've been coming to River Glen probably 13 years now. Yes, yeah, so we've probably been friends for how long? Eight years. Friends for eight years, and we've probably known each other for longer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, friends for eight years, it's been a good eight years. It has, it has. How did we meet? It really started with prayer. Actually, I was working with his wife at the information center, and she would ask that I would pray with her every week for Alan to come to a small group. I was highly encouraged by my wife to attend a small group. And sort of like working in the kitchen, I was volunteered. So yeah, I got to um, on your Sunday Sunday uh, small group, and I've been a member since. I don't know how many years is that? Five years? Five years now? Five, six years, and uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. I think the journey's been amazing. To see you, Alan, go from joining a small group for the first time to being able to be part of your baptism, and then to see you grow into a Stevens minister has just an amazing transformation that friendship that we have has just grown alongside of that. I went to a, a meeting years ago that uh, the, the discussion was on, on friendship, and uh, the, the gentleman talked about being a 3 a.m. friend and really got me thinking about uh, what does that mean, and basically what that's talking about was, you know, are you a friend of somebody that they could feel comfortable calling you at 3 o'clock in the morning over a problem? And, uh, Kirk and I, a relationship, I definitely feel that way from him, and hopefully he does the same for me. Um, really, other than my wife, Kirk has had probably the largest influence on, on my walk with the Lord, and I appreciate it a lot, so thank you very much. 
I think every time I've reached out to Alan to ask for help on anything, whether it's with my family, whether it's with other things going on, that you've always, I, I mean, I can always count on you just to say yes. It's one of those rare things that you can count fully on someone anytime you ask, and that any time can be during the day, during the night, whenever. God wired us to be together, to be friends. And I would say if you're missing that connection, search that out and find those opportunities to connect. And friendships just will blossom. Ours did. Yeah, I love that story. Isn't that a great story about, uh, about friendship, awesome friendship? And I would agree with those guys. Small groups are a great place to find and develop friends. I'm in, I'm in a group on, on Tuesday night, and it's just been uh, awesome. Jesus said something incredibly important about friendship. Take a look at this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The most loving act that that a person can give is laying everything down for his friends. Jesus willingly giving his life is the single greatest act of friendship that you and I will ever know. I mean, no one has initiated a friendship with with you more than, than Jesus. No one... Is, is more present with you than Jesus. No one knows and loves your soul like Jesus. No one has sacrificed for you more than Jesus. No one has ever been more of a friend to you than Jesus. And so as we think about what it means to be an awesome friend, we're going to share communion because communion is a celebration of the most awesome friend ever, the one who gave his life. For all of us. So let's take a moment to remember the greatest friend that we'll ever, ever know. I'm gonna pray, and then the ushers are gonna pass the communion trays. Remember, the bread represents Christ's body, the juice represents Christ's blood. This is an opportunity for anyone who follows Jesus to uh, remember what he did for us on the cross, the single greatest act of friendship. Let me pray for us. God, we come to you and we recognize your son Jesus as the one who gave his life for us. The one who came in person and truly initiated and sacrificed his life for us when we were completely unworthy. God, we ask that your your spirit would, would come inside of us and fill us and help us to be that kind of friend for each other. To extend relationships to others, to include other people to play our role in helping more people get to know you as we grow deeper and deeper friendships. Thank you for Jesus, for his love, his friendship, and his sacrifice. And we pray this in his name. Amen.